if you have your Bibles, uh, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Isaiah. We're going to be in Isaiah, starting in verse in uh, chapter 25, uh, verses 6 through 9. And then we're going to move over to Isaiah chapter 65 and 66. So we're going to cover some ground today. So I hope you're ready. hope you brought your Bibles. If not, should be on the screen. Brother Jared, thank you for uh, putting the slides together for us. Uh, what a great report. Thank you, church family, church body, for, for all the support you guys uh, have done in supporting the Pablo community, the prayers, the financial resources, the sacrifices uh, that go into that. Um, it's great to be back with you uh, uh, this morning. It's great to have my family here. Um, so while you're turning in your passage uh, to Isaiah, I just want to give you a quick uh, word about our uh, status, our situation. First of all, I just want to say thank you. So many of you uh, were so faithful in praying for us while I was deployed overseas to Poland. Um, I got your cards, your care packages, I felt your prayers. Thank you so much for those. Those are very encouraging. And uh, deployments are always tough, but but those uh, getting those letters, those knowing that you're praying uh, for us definitely helps us uh, get through those uh, through those times apart. And it was a good deployment. Um, the Lord uh, definitely uh, opened my eyes to some things, allowed me to serve and assist uh, in ministry uh, to our soldiers over there. Uh, it was it was a very beneficial time. Um, right now, we're kind of in a transition period. So we came back. I came back from Poland in late May. Um, I will. Uh, I'm kind of working part time still in the National Guard for a couple months, and in September. We'll go on active duty uh, to the chaplain uh, training in South Carolina for a few months. And then from there, we'll be uh, stationed in South Korea for probably two or three years uh, and get to take the family along for this one. So we're, we're excited about that. So please continue to pray for us. So I got a little bit of uh, facial hair freedom for uh, a little while longer before I got to report back for drill uh, this this coming weekend. But uh, thank you again for, for all your prayers. If you, if you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you. Uh, for the reading of God's Word, to stand with me. Hopefully you can see the words on the screen if you don't have your Bibles. But Isaiah chapter 25, uh, we're going to start in verse 6. On this mountain, the Lord of armies will prepare for all the peoples a feast of choice meat, a feast with aged wine, prime cuts of choice meat, fine vintage wine. On this mountain, he will destroy the burial shroud, the shroud over all the peoples, the sheet covering all the nations. He will destroy death forever. The Lord God will wipe away the tears from every face and remove his people's disgrace from the whole earth, for the Lord has spoken. On that day it will be said, Look, this is our God, we have waited for him, and he has saved us. This is the Lord, we have waited for him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Amen. Amen. And then uh, if you'll uh, flip over to Isaiah chapter 65, we're going to start in verses uh, 17 through 25. <clears throat> and then move right into uh, the beginning of chapter 66. Isaiah 65, verse 17. For I will create a new heaven and a new earth. The past events will not be remembered or come to mind. Then be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For I will create Jerusalem to be a joy and its people to be a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will no longer be heard in her. And her, a nursing infant, will will no longer live only a few days, or an old man not live out his days. Indeed, the one who dies at a hundred years old will be mourned as a young man, and the one who misses a hundred years will be considered cursed. 
People will build houses and live in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They will not build and others live in them, for they will not plant and others eat. For my people's lives will be like the lifetime of a tree. My chosen ones will fully enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor without success or bear children destined for disaster. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord along with their descendants. Even before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like cattle. But the serpent's food will be dust. They will not do what is evil or destroy on my entire holy mountain, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. Where could you possibly build a house for me, and where would my resting place be? My hand made all these things, and so they all came into being. This is the Lord's declaration. I will look favorably on this kind of person, one who is humble, submissive in spirit, and trembles at my word. And then skipping down to verse 10. Be glad for Jerusalem, and rejoice over her, all who love her. Rejoice greatly with her, all who mourn over her, so that you may nurse and be satisfied from her comforting breast, and drink deeply and delight yourselves from her glorious breast. For this is what the Lord says, I will make peace flow to her like a river, and the wealth of nations like a flood. You will nurse and be carried on her hip, and bounce on her lap, as a mother comforts her son, so I will comfort you, and you will be comforted in Jerusalem. You will see, you will rejoice, and you will flourish like grass. Then the Lord's power will be revealed to his servants, but he will show his wrath against his enemies. Look, the Lord will come with fire. His chariots are like the whirlwind to execute his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. The Lord will execute judgment on all people with his fiery sword, and many will be slain by the Lord. Those who dedicate and purify themselves to enter the groves following their leader, eating meat from pigs, vermin, and rats, will perish together. This is the Lord's declaration. Knowing their works and their thoughts, I have come to gather all nations and languages. They will come and see my glory. I will establish a sign among them, and I will send survivors from them to the nations, Tarshish, Put, Lud, who are archers, Tubal, Javan, and the coast and islands far away, who have not heard about me or seen my glory, and they will proclaim my glory among the nations. They will bring all your brothers from all the nations as a gift to the Lord, on horses and chariots and litters, and on mules and camels to my holy mountain Jerusalem, says the Lord. Just as the Israelites bring an offering in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord, I will also take some of them as priests and Levites, says the Lord. For just as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make will remain before me, this is the Lord's declaration, so your offspring and your name will remain. All mankind will come to worship me from one new moon to another, and from one Sabbath to another, says the Lord. As they leave, they will see the dead bodies of those who have rebelled against me. For for their worm will never die, their fire will never go out, and they will be a horror to all mankind. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. O Lord, you are my strength and my redeemer. Amen. So the title of my message today is A Rendezvous with Destiny. And I think as we look at this passage, uh, God, God brought this idea, this, this word rendezvous came to mind, and this phrase rendezvous with destiny came to mind. And when I think about that phrase, well, first of all, what, what comes to mind when you think about it? A rendezvous with destiny. Something coming together? Yeah, yeah, like a meeting place. It kind of captures the imagination a bit. And for me, uh, being a being an army guy, when I think of rendezvous with destiny, the first thing I think of I think of the 101st uh, Airborne because if you know anything about their history, um, the 101st Airborne was formed in World War II, and uh, their commander 
<clears throat> he wrote a letter to his to his uh, paratroopers. They're getting ready for their their first big test. Their first test was D-Day, which we celebrated uh, 70 years ago. And the 101st had a very instrumental role in that um, in that operation. Um, but he said, you know, the 101st because it was a new unit didn't have a lot of the history, a lot of the heritage that like the first infantry division and some a lot of other army units had. But he told his soldiers, he said, we have a rendezvous with destiny. Uh, basically, he was he was inspiring his soldiers. He said, we are going to do great things. Um, and, and God has uh, used the 101st. He used them. They had a in, very important role in the D-Day, uh, in the success of the D-Day um, operation and, and seizing key key bridges behind enemy lines. Uh, if anybody's ever seen uh, Band of Brothers or read the book, you'll, you'll know a lot about uh, their history just from, from that world war. Uh, and they continue to have a, a very uh, impactful history. And so they, they had a rendezvous with destiny. The second thing I think of when I think of uh, the phrase, a rendezvous with destiny, I think of uh, Ronald Reagan. Uh, in the 19, uh, I think it was the 1960s, uh, Ronald Reagan gave a important speech. Um, it was called The Time for Choosing. And basically at that time, uh, there was a lot of, um, um, a lot of conversation about how to respond uh, to the Soviet Union. And this is during the midst of the Cold War. And so there were some, uh, some, some policymakers and, and people thought, we need to kind of try to go along to get along with the Soviet Union. We need to appease the Soviet Union is what critics would say. Um, and then others were saying, no, we need to double down on what made our country great. We need to you know, shore up our, our faith in God that he is with us. Uh, we need to go back to our first principles, um, you know, and, and really, you know, focus on um, you know, what our founders believed. And we we need to confront the Soviet Union. We need to challenge the Soviet Union. And uh, and and this was this was Reagan's uh, the kind of the crux of his speech. He said, "We have a rendezvous with destiny. Our legacy, uh, our children are going to." Uh, be impacted by how we we confront uh, this this challenge, and so uh, Reagan was really trying to galvanize the country and really trying to unite the country. Um, he was, this is before he really had had even entered politics. I guess this is probably maybe his first major political speech, um, but that that was his phrase, and he used this phrase, "a rendezvous with destiny." Well, as I look at these passages, and 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 as as we looked at these this morning. Um, what I see here is that God has a rendezvous with destiny. And God has a rendezvous with destiny in, in, in really a few different ways. And I think we're going to see this um, as we look together at these passages. Uh, but the first uh, way that, that God has a rendezvous with destiny that we see from this passage is that God has a rendezvous with the curse. And we all know, um, as, as uh, Cindy shared with us this morning, we, we know we, we live in a fallen world. Uh, we sang about that as, as Jared, Faith, and Paul led us, uh, that we live in a broken place. Uh, I love that song, Is He Worthy? Um, we know that things are not the way they should be. We know um, that there is evil around us. Um, when I think about the curse, I think of thermodynamics, okay? And I'm, I'm not this really scientific guy. There's some brilliant scientific minds in this congregation. I am not one of them. Um, but I know about the second law of thermodynamics. And basically, uh, the law of thermodynamics uh, that this is referencing to is that um, things kind of fall off the rails. There's this rising state of disorder that we see around us, okay? 
And so to give you some examples of this, if, if I go and park my car in the Walmart parking lot, um, you know, for any length of time, my car is probably going to end up with some dings or some scratches. Uh, and that's nothing against Walmart. Just, just, I mean, if I park at, you know, Neyland Stadium or, or, or wherever, um, we know that, that things are, are, are probably not going to go well eventually with, with some of our, our possessions. I, I think of Bethany. Bethany works tirelessly in our, in our backyard pulling, pulling weeds out of her flower beds. Uh, we see this, this, this rising disorder, uh, in our universe. And this is really one of the, the biggest, uh, in my mind, um, uh, laws that disproves evolutionary theory because, you know, evolutionary theory has this, uh, that proposed this idea of this universal inevitable advance, but, uh, we just don't see that across the world. We see, I mean, just, you know, people that, that believe this, I want to ask them, hey, do you even nightly news? I mean, do you even watch the nightly news and just see the rising disorder, uh, that, that is all around us? But we see that in this passage that, that one day God is going to end this curse. He's going to reverse the curse. Um, we saw, we read that labor is going to be easier. You know, the work of our hands that we see, uh, the relationship between God's creatures are going to change. Uh, we read in this passage, uh, conditions are, are really going to start to return to the pre-flood conditions. So people are going to live longer. Um, life is, is going to be different. Work is going to be easier. Um, and this is uh, part of uh, the prophecy that, that God revealed to Isaiah and, and Isaiah was able to give hope uh, to the people of Israel. Uh, because if you know anything about the book of Isaiah, Isaiah is, is giving uh, this, this message uh, to the people primarily of Judea, of Jerusalem, um, at a time when, when things do not look good. Okay? They're seeing uh, the empire of Assyria and Babylon are on the rise. Uh, the northern kingdom has already been destroyed. Um, there's this sense that, that things are in decline. Things are not going well uh, for the southern kingdom either. Um, but Isaiah is, is giving the people hope, and God's revealing this message to him. And so you might be saying here, hey, that's great. God is going to re- you know, reverse the curse. That's, that's great. But, but what about now? What, we still have to live in, in, in the broken world. And it's going to be it's going to be a while before the curse is uh, is is destroyed. Um, and here's the answer: we have to wait on the Lord. It goes back to what Cindy was saying. Um, God's people wait on the Lord. Uh, Cindy's waited six years uh, for God to uh, impact this this uh, one child that they had been ministering to. Um, but that's how God works. God wants His people to live by faith, and that's where we ought to live. We ought to live in faith, and we walk in faith, and we wait on the Lord. St. Augustine wrote in his book, The Confessions, You made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Uh, the curse makes us restless. When we see a broken world around us, when we see pain, when we see suffering, when we see it in our own lives and the ones that we love, uh, we see sickness. Uh, but God says, Come to me, all you are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God walks with us. He walks with us uh, through the valley of the shadow of death, as we read in Psalm 23. Several months ago, I, I picked up a copy of a book called Wednesdays Were Pretty Normal, and it's uh, the chronicles of a family that's dealing uh, with the awful reality of the, of the curse in their home, of, of a, a son who's diagnosed with, with cancer. And I was, I was really moved and encouraged by how the father, his name's Michael Kelly, how he responded to the crisis in their family. And, and I, I 
I wanted to share with you some of the things that he wrote. Hopefully you can read it on the screen, screen, but I'll read it as well. He wrote, this was a moment when we couldn't just have faith, we had to choose faith. It had to be as conscious as any other decision, like choosing to exercise in the morning. Faith needed to be disciplined. Brother Morris this morning talked about how we need to have disciplined minds. And that's what faith is. Faith is disciplining our minds. And just like hauling yourself out of bed to go for a jog at 5 a.m., choosing faith was hard, annoyingly hard, frustratingly hard. But in its hardness, I also began to realize that I don't get the old adage that faith is a crutch for the weak to lean on. If you choose to believe in the God of the Bible, you have to believe everything about it. To take God's love is also to take His justice. If my family was really going to choose faith, then we would have to come to grips with the fact that there are parts of God that at best we don't understand, at worst we don't even like. We could no longer pick and choose certain parts of our belief system. We had to embrace all of it. God's people choose faith. They choose to lean into the promises of God, and they choose to wait on the Lord. And it's a choice that you and I are going to make. Uh, If you look back at Isaiah 25, verse 9, it says, Look, this is our God. We have waited for Him, and He has saved us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him. Let us rejoice and be glad in His salvation. So we see that God has a rendezvous with the curse. We also see from this passage that God has a rendezvous with death. When Jesus conquered the grave on Resurrection Sunday, He defeated the most powerful force of the curse, which is death. But there's a difference between defeat and destroy. Uh, in, in military terms, there's, there's a tactical definition. You know, we have all these tactical definitions for defeat and destroy. And in, in military terminology, destroy is a tactical mission task that physically renders an enemy force combat in, ineffective or a combat system is damaged so badly that it cannot perform any other function. And when Jesus conquered the grave uh, on Resurrection Sunday, that was a stunning defeat uh, to death and a, the most powerful aspect of the curse. Um, it was it was never been done before, where through his own power, Jesus defeated death. But one day, and what we read from this passage in Isaiah chapter 25, God is going to return and he is going to destroy death forever. It is going to be completely destroyed. It is finished. No reconstitution. Combat ineffective. So Isaiah 25, verse 7 and 8 says, On this mountain he will destroy the burial shroud. The burial shroud is grave clothes. Okay, there's going to be no more need for grave clothes. So if you're in that business, you, know, you might want to you know, consider going back to school or, or getting uh, some, some additional uh, uh, skilled work. Because the Bible says in verse 8, He will destroy death forever. The Lord God will wipe away the tears from every face and remove His people's disgrace from the whole earth, for the Lord has spoken. So one day God is going to destroy death forever. He has a rendezvous with death. In his letter to the Corinthians, Paul discusses the first fruits of death's defeat through Jesus' resurrection. But he also then shifts gears and he talks about death's coming destruction. And notice the parallels between Paul's letter and Isaiah's prophecy. In Isaiah chapter 66, the prophet writes that the earth is the Lord's footstool. Every, that means everything on the earth uh, will once again be subjugated to God. We know that Satan is active on this earth. There's evil on this earth. 
Uh, we see it. We see it in our communities. We see it in, in Pablo, all around us. But we know that the ruler of this world, Satan, is going to be cast out. And that's what this passage says. Now, um, we see that in John chapter 12, 31, where Jesus says, now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Jesus is prophesying this. And Paul restates this truth by claiming that God has put everything under Jesus' feet, including death. And I, I love what my, what my, um, what my other older brother, uh, Trevin, wrote uh, recently. He said, when we trust in Jesus, when we believe that he is the resurrection and the life, and when we repent of our sins and put our faith in him as Lord and Savior, we are reconnected to the source of life. We are reunited to God, our creator. So even if this body of mine will die, it will not stay dead forever. When we die, our spirits go immediately to be with Jesus, and our bodies await the day of resurrection. When Christ returns to harvest the seeds, we plant in the ground. That's why we can die defiantly. We can look our last enemy square in the face, take one last breath, hear one last pulse of our heart and say this, I will breathe again. This heart will beat again. This body will rise again because my sins are gone and my Savior got up from that grave. One day, God has a rendezvous to destroy death forever and He is going to deliver us from the grave and we will rise again and be reunited with, with Him. Third thing we see from this passage God has a rendezvous with his people. God is worth waiting for because he's with us in the waiting. He walks with us, he comforts us, he strengthens us. Elsewhere in the book of Isaiah, we read how God renews the strength of those who wait on him, how we can rise up with wings as eagles. He lifts us to new heights. But God tells us in this passage that he has a rendezvous with his people in Jerusalem, and it's going to involve a feast. It's going to be a great rendezvous. It's going to be great atmosphere of celebration. Um, and, and we see this, that the very best meats, the very best uh, wines will be at this feast. Uh, and it'll be in his capital city, Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. God is going to be, um, is going to be with his people. This will be the capital of his uh, new kingdom here on earth when he comes back and renews the earth. In Isaiah chapter 66, God says he's going to look favorably on his, on his people. We, we read that peace and prosperity are going to flow to Jerusalem from across the world. Uh, the citizens are going to rejoice as God's power is demonstrated throughout the world. Uh, Jerusalem's going to be this capital city, but all nations are going to be represented in worship. Uh, that's why we go and we fulfill the Great Commission. We go to all nations and tell them the good news, and God uses us to bring about this, uh, this prophecy. Um, and, and ambassadors will come from all nations and be involved in administering his worship services. And at this point, when this uh, prophecy is fulfilled, the waiting is over. And as we sang about, our faith turns into sight. We see God deliver on his promises. Now note how God defines his people, the ones he looks favorably on. And we see this in Isaiah chapter 66, uh, verse 1 and 2. I will look favorably on this kind of person, one who is humble, submissive in spirit, and trembles at my word. Uh, when, I, when I read this passage, I think of so many of my brothers and sisters here at Haven who are, uh, who are humble in spirit, and they serve humbly. They're serving some right now uh, in the nursery or served earlier teaching Sunday school, by going on the Montana mission trip. Um, they, 
they have respect for God's Word, they teach God's Word. And, and so many of you were involved in this, teaching BBS uh, over the past few weeks. Um, but they also, God's people, submit themselves to the leading of the Holy Spirit uh, by having accountability, and they guard their marriages, they guard their families um, by being sensitive to God's Spirit. So God's people are marked by humility, uh, submissiveness to, to the Lordship of Jesus, and reverence for God's Word. God has a rendezvous with His people. He will um, deliver on His promises. He is worth putting our faith in His character and His promises. And lastly, we see that God has a rendezvous with the wicked. Uh, we see this in Isaiah chapter 66. Um, so we just discussed the DNA of the righteous, uh, the three things that define the righteous. So, so what is the DNA of the wicked? Um, well, it's the exact opposite. Okay, just make it really, really simple. The, the wicked are marked by pride and arrogance. Uh, it's the, the spirit that, that people should serve me, the church should serve me. Um, it's my preferences that, that matter, uh, should be, should be first. Uh, it's rebellion toward God. It's, it's a rejection of, of God's word. Um, and the Bible says that their destiny is eternal death. God will destroy the wicked by fire and sword. Uh, and they will be a horror to mankind. God's justice is going to be executed. Justice is going to be carried out. Now, when we look at this passage, we think, well, you know, I don't know. I, I kind of identify with the righteous. I don't really feel like I'm a wicked person. I feel like I'm a pretty good person. You know, we, we want to um, kind of define, you know, these definitions ourselves. But God, God gives the definitions. I mean, we, we are either going to fall into the righteous category or the wicked category. Um, and we see this in uh, the New Testament, where Jesus has this this um, uh, this dialogue with this uh, this rich young ruler that approaches him. We see this in in Mark chapter ten, in um, verse eighteen. Um, the rich young ruler approaches Jesus and he, he says, "Hey, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, I want to be one of the righteous." It's basically what he's telling Jesus. How do I guarantee this? Um, and Jesus stops him right there. He says, "Why do you call me good?" No one is good except God alone. So right from the, the beginning, Jesus is um, is kind of cutting right to the heart of the matter, and he's saying, well, let's define good here. Um, really, the only one who gets to define good is God, because he's the only one who is good, who is perfectly good. So the rich young ruler, you know, when he approaches Jesus, he thinks, ah, I'm a pretty good person. I've done some good things. I've, I've kept all the commandments. Well, Jesus heads him off at the pass here by emphasizing that, no, you really haven't. No one is good. Uh, you know, keeping most of the commandments or all the commandments some of the time is not keeping all the commandments. Um, and Jesus is qualified to, to have this conversation because he is the only one who has kept all the commandments. He's, he is the God-man. Um, so he's rightly positioned to answer the rich young ruler's question about what it takes to gain eternal life. Um, when I was deployed to Poland, I had the opportunity to visit Nuremberg, Germany, for a few days. And um, anybody that's that's kind of a, a history buff um, might know that Nuremberg was the site of um, the Nuremberg trials uh, following World War II, where a lot of the Nazi war criminals were tried. Prior to that, during the Nazi era, uh, it was a site of these great massive rallies uh, where, um, you know, Adolf Hitler was was celebrated, and Nazism was was celebrated. 
Um, but one of the Nazi war criminals at Nuremberg, they asked him, you know, um, why did why did the Nazis murder um, Jewish people across Europe? And his response was very simple. He said, they were vermin. You know, in his mind, they were doing the world a favor um, in his warped, deceived mind. Um, but but the reality is that, uh, you know, so many are deceived, and they think, um, they convince themselves that what they're doing is good, and it's going to be good enough to satisfy um, God's justice. But God makes it very clear by his word that there is nothing you can do to satisfy uh, his justice. It's what Jesus has done. It's what Jesus did on the cross for us. And so you and I are like that rich young ruler. We we are approaching God as enemies of God, whether we realize it or not, because we've all rebelled. We all need forgiveness. And so you may be separated from God, or you may know family that's separated from God, uh, and you're remaining in your sin. And the, the reality is, if, if you are in sin and you have not uh, repented of your sin, or you know loved ones that have not repented of your sin, they are still enemies of God. And God will deal with his enemies, as we see from this passage. But your destiny can change today. As Ronald Reagan uh, told the country, it's a time for choosing. It's a time for choosing, uh, maybe in your life, or maybe it's a life of a loved one that you know they need to hear the gospel, and they need to know the truth is that they are enemies of God unless they have repented of their sin and turned to God, surrendered their life to God, and received God's forgiveness and grace. So to recap my message with you this morning, God has a rendezvous with the curse. God has a rendezvous with death. God has a rendezvous with his people. And God has a rendezvous with the wicked. So, I close that you and I have a rendezvous with destiny as well. And it will either be part of the righteous or part of the wicked. And uh, I ask at this time of closing, as the worship team comes, that you think about that, and maybe God has put some on your heart, family or friends, uh, that you need to share this message with, this reality with, and ask God to give you the words to say, uh, to give them this message. Um, and maybe you're sitting here, and maybe you know this is your time uh, to, to deal with God. I invite you to come. The altar will be open. Please come as uh, Brother Jared and Brother Paul faithfully lead us.